What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is where all of our baseball and fantasy baseball content is posted out from. You guys should really go drop a follow so you never miss any of our podcasts, articles, or different work that we do over on Twitter. It's all on sportsethos.com as well, but definitely the most convenient way to access all of our baseball stuff. Go check out Ethos Fantasy BB. Now today we're going to get caught up on some of the signings that have slipped through the cracks this week. My apologies for those of you who wanted to get the pitching reviews back in. I wanted to as well. Uh, I fully intended this week to be mostly devoted to pitching. Uh, but the floodgates opened up really over last weekend and then this entire week. There's been so many signings. I've tried to keep up with them on the show every day. There's been a couple that have fallen through the cracks, and we're going to be talking about them today. But I promise you guys, next week we will get back to pitching. Assuming that the world doesn't explode every single day next week with signings and trades, uh, we will get back to pitching for the majority of next week. But there are a couple signings, one of them that took place last night and a couple that took place uh, throughout this week that we're going to talk about Starting with Brandon Nimmo, he got a bag. Eight years, $162 million for Brandon Nimmo. Now, the thing that's most surprising is probably the term. Eight years for Nimmo is not really what we were expecting, not what I was expecting. I was thinking he was probably going to be more of a five, six-year guy. Uh, He is close to 30. He'll be 30 by the time next season starts. So you got him, or the Mets, have him locked up for the next eight years until he's about 37, 38 years old. I think it's an okay contract. I think there is a hell of a lot of risk with it, but I don't think that Steve Cohen particularly cares given how deep his pockets are. But it's not without its risk. Like, Nimmo, Nimmo's really good. He's a really good guy who can play center field. But I think we're overstating a little bit how good he is defensively because I saw a lot of people saying he's an elite center fielder. And the numbers are good, his defensive numbers, but overall, they kind of hit and miss. It depends what you look at in terms of defensive runs saved, outs above average. His career defensive run saved is negative two. 15 outs above average, uh, but negative two in terms of his defensive run saved. This past season, negative three and six, respectively, for those categories. So how many runs is he saving? How many outs is he getting above average? Uh, he's better with getting more outs as opposed to actually saving runs out there. Now, I'm not... Uh, a savant in terms of how these are calculated in terms of how the formulas work for defensive run saved outs above average but I don't think you can look at these and say he's an elite defensive center fielder I think he's adequate pretty good but not you know uh, a gold glove caliber I don't think Brandon Nimmo has any gold gloves let me look that up real quick I'm I'd be surprised if he does I don't believe he does specifically because of another worry that we have with him he's not really been on the field that much throughout his career He's been, he debuted in 2016, and he's played in 608 games. It's not a lot. You're looking at two seasons where he's been over 100 games, and he was mostly like full seasons in those years, 140 and 151. And by the way, if anybody was wondering, no gold gloves there. It's pretty hard to, to get that when you're playing only typically 90 or so games. If you look through his entire career, going back to his first season, 32 games, 69, and then 140 in 2018, followed by 69, 55 in the short year, 92 last year, and then this season was, of course, fantastic, 151 games. He's an on-base machine for his career, a 385 on-base percentage, 269 batting average, and a 441 slugging for the career. He's a very good offensive center fielder. He's not going to be an elite defensive center fielder. Uh, he's, he's pretty good. 
but he's not somebody, he's not Torrey Hunter out there. He's not Andrew Jones. He's not Vernon Wells, which is, I didn't see him compared to those guys, but I did see people saying like elite center fielder. He's not that. He is very good. I think he's going to be, you know, very good for the Mets for the next couple of seasons. But like a lot of these contracts, and I know people are sick of this, but it's not going to look good in a couple of years. And that is something that is kind of important. Teams say it's not important. It doesn't matter who cares how much your team spends. It's not your money. Five, six years down the line when there is a lot of dead cap between guys like, I mean, I'm not talking about the Mets specifically. I'm talking about everybody with the Judge deal, with the Trey Turner deal, with the Bogarts deal, with Nimmo, with potentially Jacob deGrom. Yes, you go after these guys and you sign them, but the term for all of those deals, probably not something I would have personally wanted to do, specifically those deals that are more than 10 years long for guys who are already close to 30. We've seen that kind of thing happen in years past. We mentioned Albert Pujols a few days ago, and really you can just look at some of the, the signings that the Angels have made over the years. The Josh Hamilton one was not quite as bad. I think it was only five years. Anthony Rendon is another example. We've seen some bad contracts come back on teams, and it might hinder them down the line in terms of what they can spend in future free agent classes. I don't think that will be a huge deal with the Mets, but we don't really know what the team is going to look like in the next five, six, seven years. Who knows if this will end up being a good deal or a bad deal. I think for right now, it's, a, it's an overpay. Uh, on, a, on an average annual basis, $20 million, it, it evens out to roughly $20.25 $20. million a year. I think that's probably about okay, but in terms of how long he's going to be locked up for, I know my Blue Jays were talking pretty seriously about bringing on Brandon Nimmo, about signing him. If they had signed him to this kind of deal, I would have been <clears throat> not too thrilled about it. And again, it's not your money. It's not your money. Why do you care? Well, if your team sinks a bunch of money into players a couple years down the line, you know, for the Blue Jays, we're looking at Hanjin Ryu, who's got $20 million on the book still, I believe, about $20 million. Yusei Kikuchi is another 13 or so million. And you keep adding up those contracts of guys who are not fully dead weight, but I don't think Ryu's pitching for the Jays again. Kikuchi, maybe he gets another shot in the, in the rotation. I think he probably shouldn't, but maybe he does. Those guys are on your payroll, and they are not contributing. And ownership and front offices will not want to spend as much money down the line when you have previously invested in guys who did not pan out so well. That's where I'm, that's where I'm at. So the first few years of the deal should be fine. <clears throat> Nimmo, 20, <clears throat> excuse me, Nimmo, 29 years old. He'll be 30 by opening day. He's going to be the leadoff hitter, I would assume, for the Mets, uh, for the most part anyway. I think he would be in that slot for, I think he was there pretty much most of the season uh, this year. He should still be the leadoff hitter next year. And, you know, he'll give you a good fantasy season, assuming he is healthy. Uh, let's take a look where he was. Yeah, he was leading off pretty much every single time, 147 times in the leadoff spot. Once he batted second, and once he was ninth, but I believe that was a defensive replacement. So he will be the leadoff hitter pretty predominantly here for the Mets, assuming he's healthy. And again, that is probably more so than the term of the deal. It is the health aspect here. Like, they're, they're both worrying me, but they both worry me, I guess, in conjunction with one another. Nimmo has played over 100 games twice. I guess 2020 is kind of hard to hold against him. He played 55 out of 60 games. But it's, it's a big investment for a guy who is, you know, despite what people are saying, he's not an elite center fielder. He's a good center fielder. He's a good leadoff hitter. He gets on base. But he doesn't steal bases. Uh, the defense, like we talked about, is okay. It's nothing crazy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sold on this deal long term. I think for the short term, yes, it should be fine for the Mets. And for fantasy purposes, it's a good spot for him to go back to. We talked about this before. 
If he went to another team, like if he went to the Blue Jays, no guarantee at all he's in the leadoff spot. They could have stuck with Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, and then down the line, and then maybe have Nimmo bat fifth or sixth or something like that. Then those 100 runs that he scored, likely out the window. So this is a good spot for him for fantasy value going back there. His ADP right now, 192 in draft champions, because of course we're getting rid of gladiators when we're looking at these ADP numbers. I think that's pretty reasonable. At 192, outfield is fairly thin. You are getting a guy who is hopefully going to play a lot. Not that we know that for sure, but he's coming off a year where he had almost 700 plate appearances. Maybe he can carry that over. I think at the price, it's worth it. If you're getting him around pick 200, I'm going to be okay with him there. But you're reaching up any higher than that, then I'm probably going to be staying away for the most part. Outfield is tricky, and it's hard to take anybody off your board, per se. Uh, But if Nimmo pushes up into the 140s, 150s kind of area, I don't think I would like him. In the range where he is currently going, he is my favorite guy to take right there. You got Whit Merrifield at 183, Harrison Bader at 183, and then you got Nimmo at 192, Cody Bellinger 197, Riley Green at 204. I'm taking Nimmo amongst all those guys. He would be the guy that I take. But if he keeps going up and up, like if this signing, you know, people maybe were worried a little bit he was going to leave the Mets and uncertainty about the leadoff spot kind of thing. Maybe he was being pushed down a little bit because of that because this season this year was was really good. 16 homers, 102 runs, 64 ribbies, three steals, and a 274 batting average. I don't think that any higher, maybe a little bit higher, you know, 170s, 180s, that'd be okay. But if people see this and they start to take him, like, you know, 140, 130, 150 kind of range, that would be when I start to have a bit of pause regarding Brandon Nimmo. I think in this spot, assuming he stays there, uh, I'm going to have a good few shares of him. He's currently the 42nd outfielder off the board. He's going behind some other kind of weird guys. You know, Oscar Gonzalez is going ahead of him. I don't know about that. Jake McCarthy going well ahead of him. I uh, don't really know about that either. I think in, in this spot, pretty sweet spot for Brandon Nimmo around pick 200. But let's talk about another outfielder. He signed with the San Francisco Giants, Mitch Hanniger, three years, $43.5 million. This looks like it could be a really good signing. Now, he is going to a worse ballpark, I believe, San Francisco, in terms of the stat cast factors. But with that kind of power that he has shown us, it shouldn't matter too, too much. He was hurt this year. He only played 57 games. He still hit 11 homers, drove in 34, scored 31 runs. If you extrapolate that over a whole year, you're still looking at close to 30 homers, you know, 90-ish RBIs, 90-ish runs. Not that you can necessarily do that. It's not how it works. You can't just prorate stats if you play 10 games and then multiply by 16. It's not necessarily how it works. But if you look at the year prior, 157 Hanniger games, 39 homers, 110 runs, 100 ribbies. He batted 253. I really like Mitch Hanniger. Offensively, he is he is really, really good. And I think this is a good signing for San Francisco. Not that they're going to move the needle so much because of this. I think they're still going to be kind of a middling team. But Mitch Hanniger's fantasy value should be pretty good because right now, or before he signed, I should say, we were a little bit worried about what kind of value he was going to have in Seattle because they were just so stacked with outfielders. Was he going to be a guy who platoons a little bit? Was he going to be a guy who has an everyday role? We weren't really sure. DH, what's going to happen? Now we know he should be the everyday right fielder for San Francisco. Roster Resource has him projected as the third batter in the lineup behind Tyro Estrada, Mike Yastrzemski, and then ahead of Jock Peterson, J.D. Davis, uh, Brandon Crawford. It's not a great lineup. But batting third in any lineup should be able to get you close to at least 75, 80 RBIs as a floor. We know the power that he possesses should be able to give you close to 30 home runs. In terms of the runs scored, it's probably not going to be crazy high, 
but 70 to 80 range is probably where you're going to expect. Now, in terms of the batting average, he's gone up and down a little bit in his career. 261 for the career. Now, he went in his first year, only 34 games, but 229. The season where he played a full season, or the two seasons where he played full seasons, excuse me, 285 in 2018 and 253 in 2021. So somewhere in the middle there, probably around the 260, 270 mark would be what I would expect for Mitch Hanniger. I think that he'll probably live up to this deal because it's only three years. These are the kind of deals that I really like in free agency. One, two, three-year deals typically. I mean, the Cody Bellinger deal was a one-year signing that I wasn't crazy about. Definitely uh, maybe not definitely, but I probably wouldn't have done that seeing the way that their money was allocated. But a short, a relatively short-term deal like this for Mitch Hanniger, granted he is going to be 32 years old uh, in a couple weeks, actually. I don't think that that's really so bad, considering you're going to have him for his age 32, 33, 34 seasons. Should be able to guarantee the, the Giants roughly 30 home runs a year. Now, in terms of the defense, he's not great defensively but they do have the luxury now in the National League of possibly being able to DH him every now and again. They got Yastrzemski. They got Jock Peterson. Maybe he plays the field every now and again. Lamont Wade. So maybe he does DH a little bit, which would keep him on the field even, even that much more. Coming off of an injury as well, only 57 games, like we said. Maybe they're a little bit easy with him, and they have him DHing sometimes. Overall, I really like Mitch Hanniger. He's going in a similar range to where Brandon Nimmo is, about 10 picks higher at 181. And again, I like him more than the other guys in this range. Along with Brandon Nimmo, I think that they are two guys where if you look at everybody going from about pick 160 to close to 200, in terms of outfielders, he's probably the one that you'd want to go for. Like we said, Oscar Gonzalez is going ahead of him. Uh, Mitch, uh, not Mitch, excuse me, Whit Merrifield going just behind him. It doesn't make that much sense to me. I think from the guys we talked about earlier, I would say Nimmo is my favorite most likely for fantasy, but Hanniger is pretty close there. I think that they're both, like, you know, ADP is pretty correct here. They're only within 10, 12 spots of each other. I think that that's correct. I think they are the two best guys that you can target in this range. Merrifield, we don't know what Merrifield's going to be exactly. Bellinger, Riley Green, all the same. You know, Seth Brown, if you keep going farther down, Joey Manessis. I'm a known Joey Manessis hater on Twitter, so that's somebody I'm not going to be a huge fan of. Jeff McNeil also going in that range, who I think has some... You know, I, I really like Jeff McNeil. In terms of fantasy, though, uh, I think Nimmo and Hanniger from the boat pick one, I guess about from pick 180 until about pick 210, maybe 170 till 210, with a couple of outliers uh, above and below that. I think that Nimmo and Hanniger are the guys that you should be targeting in this range for your outfielders. Of course, different teams are built differently. Maybe you take care of outfield early, and by the time pick 200 rolls around, you got five of them already. I think if you are in a spot where you need to add an outfielder, these two guys are looking really, really nice. Let's talk about Josh Bell. Josh Bell signed a two-year deal with the Guardians, two years, $33 million. I like this deal for Cleveland. I think there's a potential that creates a bit of a logjam, and we might not see as much um, Josh Naylor as I might have hoped, and I am a huge Josh Naylor fan. I was hoping for a lot of Josh Naylor. I think, he, I mean, he's still projected to be in the lineup, uh, Josh Bell is projected as the fourth hitter at DH. Naylor projected as the sixth hitter at first base. Maybe we do see some at-bats cut away from him there. Uh, but I think overall, Josh Bell shouldn't eat into it too, too much. It's definitely something that I am a little bit worried about because he did play most of his time last year at first base. He can DH perfectly fine, 32 games there as well, but 121 at first. Maybe we see Naylor play a little bit more of the outfield. Maybe we see him have more of a, like a utility kind of role where he's playing in a few different places. Um, that wouldn't be great for him, but in terms of Josh Bell, uh, I think it's really good. Their lineup, 
I, I've already was a big fan of this lineup from last year, uh, especially you know just ad- admiration really is more so than fandom for what they've done with you know not to say that they have a limited budget because every team has more money than they're willing to admit. But with what they have spent, they got Stephen Kwan leading off, Ahmed Rosario, and then Jose Ramirez, Josh Bell, Andres Jimenez, Josh Naylor, Oscar Gonzalez, Bo Naylor, and Miles Straw. Like that is a that is a fantastic lineup. Other than Straw, who is kind of bleh, everybody else there has the potential to be really, really good. Ramirez is going to be an MVP candidate. Quan, we know what Quan is. Rosario, I mean, Quan's going to bat 300. We give you probably 10 home runs, 10 stolen bases, something like that. Rosario just had a fantastic year. Josh Bell is coming off of a really pretty solid year as well. He definitely tailed off. He started off like red hot, but he still ended up with 17 homers, 78 runs, 71 ribbies, 266 batting average. Totally serviceable for fantasy. And we've actually seen him put up some crazy home run totals in the past. The craziest number was 2019 when, of course, the balls were juiced. And we can't really look into that so much. But in 2019, 37 homers, 116 driven in. He's also given you 26 and 90, 27 and 88. He can give you something like that in a good lineup. He spent his whole career playing for Pittsburgh and Washington for the most part. I mean, not really conducive to success in terms of your counting stats, but he's still been not too bad in that regard. Steamer hasn't projected for 22, 81, and 257. I think that's totally reasonable to expect somewhere in the middle of this lineup. That is where I would, you know, I think it's, I think it's pretty fair uh, in terms of where he is going in these drafts so far. 195 is his ADP. He's pretty close to those other guys we were talking about earlier in terms of the outfield. Now, in terms of first baseman, I want to see where he ranks among first baseman here. Uh, it can't be that high because first base is actually fairly stacked. He's the 21st first baseman off the board. Uh, he's sandwiched between Luis Arise and Josh Naylor, who we were just talking about. Now, I'm going to take Bell over Luis Arise. I think I have a little more faith in Bell producing more counting stats, You know, obviously more home runs. You're going to suffer in batting average a little bit there, but I think for the most part, you're going to pay off taking Bell. Josh Naylor, it's a hard one for me there between Naylor and Bell. Honestly, it's probably a coin flip at this point. They're going to give you fairly similar production, 20, 80, and 260, roughly. Uh, for me, that's more of a coin flip. And then, of course, when you go for, a little bit farther down, the usual suspects we mentioned already, Seth Brown, Joey Manessis, uh, I'm going to be taking Bell over those guys. So, I, again, these three guys we've all mentioned today, I know I've been kind of cynical about some of the free agent signings, specifically because of the teams and the tenure, the length, I should say, of the contracts. But these three ones we've talked about so far today, especially in terms of their fantasy value, uh, I kind of like it. Nimmo's is is a bit long. Uh, For for sure, Nimmo's contract is a little bit long at eight years. But in terms of the fantasy value, specifically in the short term, Nimmo, Hanniger, and Josh Bell are all probably going to be pretty decent bargains heading into draft season. All around pick 200, all with top 100 fantasy seasons under their belts and to have that potential again. So, I like taking all of them where they are, to be perfectly honest with you. It's hard to take all three of them because they're right around each other in ADP, but happy to take two of them. Happy to take Bell and Nimmo or Bell and Hanniger or Hanniger and Nimmo, however you want to combine them. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of value to be had <clears throat> in the guys we have talked about today so far. A couple of more we are going to talk about, and we're going to talk about a couple of pitchers who have signed. Andrew Heaney is the first one, two years, $25 million from the Texas Rangers. I don't really know how to feel about Andrew Heaney. He's coming off of an incredible season, like a really great season. Granted, short term, like he only pitched 72 innings, 
But 310 ERA, for the most part, it was a lot lower than that as well. Uh, he had a couple of starts near the end of the year, which really ballooned it. I think it was, yeah, it was a couple in particular against San Francisco. He allowed six earned runs, and then he allowed four against St. Louis. It, it ballooned the ERA, but for the most part, when he was healthy last year, he was really good. That is not who we have known Andrew Heaney to be in his career. Even with the 310 over 72 innings last year, he has a 456 career ERA. 456. The career FIP, 438. It's not like he's been terribly unlucky. The Sierra, 375. Okay, a little bit better. But in terms of where you're going to be investing in Andrew Heaney for fantasy, I'm not really such a big fan. Let's see what his ADP is, if it's moved around at all since he has signed with Texas. Uh, 245. It's not bad. Minimum pickup, 146. Maximum, 304. I'm not really going to be that big on Andrew Heaney. I mean, when you're in Los Angeles, when you're playing for a team like the Dodgers, they're going to do things that are going to, you know, they're going to tinker with certain things that are going to help you. We've seen it forever with that team. I said it the other day, they could put Humpty Dumpty back together again, and they did in the short term here with Heaney. Uh, his ERAs had never been anywhere close to that. I guess in 2015, over 18 games, it was 349. But this is the best version of him that we have seen. Strikeout uh, per nine, 13.62. His strikeout percentage was 35.5. He'd never been over 20, 29 before was the highest. I don't know that we can expect this in Texas. I don't know, and that kind of rhyme there, I don't know that we can really look at Andrew Heaney and say I can trust him as one of my you know, top five, seven pitchers in fantasy next season. If you're talking about your standard 12-team leagues, I think that he may be like your last pick kind of guy. You know, Test him out for a couple starts, see if it works. I think he's going to fall more into the streamer in terms of your 10- and 12-team leagues. I don't think that he is going to be somebody where you can throw him out there every fifth day and say, okay, he is my he is my number five guy or he is my number six guy, and I'm comfortable with him. First of all, he doesn't throw a lot of innings in his career. One season of 180 innings, every other season we're talking 130 and below, and usually quite below. Like he's dealt with injury stuff his entire career. Made 30 starts one time, and that was 2018. So you got that to worry about, and then when he's out there, what the hell is he going to give you? Is it going to be a five ERA? Is it going to be a three ERA? I don't trust the Rangers pitching staff, pitching coaching team, I guess, rather than staff. That implies the actual pitchers. But the staff working with their pitchers, I just don't trust them nearly as much as you would with the Dodgers, which is not any you know hot take. The Dodgers are incredible developmentally, and Texas is not really. Uh, they're fine, I guess. But in terms of their pitching, uh, I don't know. DeGrom is going to be fantastic. The rest of the rotation, not really that sold on. John Gray is probably going to be all right. Martin Perez is going to regress. Heaney is probably not going to be that great if we're just being perfectly honest with ourselves. And then Jake Odorizzi penciled in as the fifth starter. I'm not a huge fan of really any of it, obviously, DeGrom, sure. But Heaney, uh, in this this team, for this team, I, I don't know that you can have a lot of faith in really drafting him at all. If you're talking a DC draft champions, like a draft and hold format, you're going to have to take a chance on him somewhere. Well, maybe not you, but somebody will. He's going to go somewhere in the mid-200s of your draft, and I don't think that it would be me. If personally, you know, you can wait another few picks. You can wait a round or two. You can go for Miles Michaelis. You can go for Merrill Kelly, Kode Senga, Alex Cobb, even Tyler Anderson, Eric Lauer. Uh, a lot of these guys that I feel a lot more comfortable with. Even Jose Urquidy, who I'm not a big Jose Urquidy guy, but every year he gives you 10, 12, 14 wins with not a bad ERA. So, I mean, when you have somebody's track record like that, even though, again, not a great pitcher, but historically a lot better than Heaney, pitching for a better team, 
I'm going to be taking a lot of these guys who are going below him uh, as opposed to Heaney himself. So for me, uh, it's going to be mostly a pass on him. The steamer projections, I don't agree with at all. 140 innings, 356 ERA. They think the strikeout rate will come back down to 10.44 or 10.44 per nine. Uh, that's probably about what it's going to be. You know, you're looking at maybe a 27% strikeout rate, 20, you know, roughly 27, 28. 35 is not realistic for him over the course of a whole season. And, you know, staying healthy over the course of a whole season probably isn't as well. So for me, I'm not going to be so big on taking Heaney here. If you want to have one share or something like that, or if you're in your 12-team draft, last pick, dart throw, uh, maybe. But I think there are guys who are going below him that I would be a lot more comfortable with. So not a huge fan of Heaney overall. It's not a big-term deal. It's not like the Rangers are going to be screwed forever because of this. Two years, $25 million. If he's not up to par, then, you know, he doesn't last the two years. Maybe he doesn't even last this year if he gets traded or something. I don't know what to expect, but not a big Andrew Heaney fan, specifically away from the Dodgers. Last guy we are going to talk about today, Jose Quintana. He signed himself a two-year, $26 million deal with the Mets, pretty similar to what we saw Andrew Heaney get. They both capitalized a little bit on their good seasons last year. Quintana was really good between his time in Pittsburgh and St. Louis, combined for a 293 ERA. Bizarrely, over 32 starts, only 13 decisions. He had a 6-7 and seven record. But the 293 ERA, the pitching indicators were pretty good. 386 XERA, 299 FIP, 372 XFIP, and the Sierra was, and I always lose a Sierra here, 402. So did he overperform his metrics a little bit? Sure. But he was still very, very solid when he was out there. Uh, the strikeout numbers did come down quite a bit from what they were last year. But he also had his walk numbers come down quite a bit as well. 28% strikeout rate last year, only 20% this year. Last year, he was walking nearly 12% of batters. Uh, This year, only 7% of batters. Granted, short sample size in 2021, but it's good to see him get those numbers back down. Uh, Well, not not the strikeout numbers, but the walk rate will get that down if you go along with the – if you get both of them down, I guess, or both of them go up, it's not the biggest of deals as long as the strikeouts are coming along with those walks. And Exhibit A would be Dylan Cease there. So uh, with Quintana, that's not the biggest concern. For me, it's that he's historically been pretty meh. He's not great. He is – you know, he's probably a fine, like, fourth or fifth starter on a contending team. I'm just going to pull up the roster resource page here for the Mets. They have him projected as the third starter behind Verlander and Scherzer. Now, they have it Verlander, Scherzer, Quintana, Carrasco, and David Peterson. I would hope that Tyler McGill gets a look in that pen. Uh, Maybe he doesn't, but I think he should. You know, a younger guy, and he'll get some starts for sure. You'll see Verlander, Scherzer, Carrasco, even Quintana probably miss a start or two. I'd like to see McGill and David Peterson be the 4-5 in that rotation. I don't know that they really needed Quintana outside of maybe a piece of depth. But, I mean, it's a fine signing in terms of what he's going to do for you. Probably going to be somewhere in the mid-threes for ERA with mediocre strikeout and walk numbers. Nothing to really write home about. Uh, but in terms of where he's being drafted, and I want to see, because these, these have moved around a little bit, these draft numbers, over the last few days since we've had some signings. Uh, Quintana is going, well, where he's going, it's actually not too bad. 366, minimum pick of 276, maximum of 475. If you're getting Quintana around 366, I think that that's probably okay. Uh, He is the last Met going by ADP for almost 300 picks. Uh, Brooks Raley is the one going after him at 619. Uh, Yeah, I think that at that range of the draft, you're probably fine. And draft champions, uh, you know, no problem there. If you're talking about a 12-team league, you're playing on Yahoo or you're playing on ESPN or wherever, 
CBS, Fantrax. I don't know that you're going to want to take him in a 12-team league. I think that he's someone who might have some streamer value throughout the season, but in that kind of format, there are just going to be some better options. And how far down the board is he in terms of overall pitchers here? He's pretty far down. He is... Um, where is he now? I lost him. He's going, I've lost him a little bit here on the page, but he's going after uh, starting pitcher 100. That is, that is really, really low for, for Jose Quintana, considering he had a, a sub three ERA this year. Not that that's, you know, the thing that you look at the most, you look at a lot of different things, but in terms of the ERA and the indicators, they're, they're not bad. They're definitely, he overperformed a little bit, but in terms of everything, Career 375 ERA, 362 FIP, 385 XFIP. It's really not bad. And I think at this point of the draft, uh, you're, you're probably going to take a chance. 144. He's going as starting pitcher 144 off the board between Mike Soroka and Cody Morris. Uh, Mitch Keller is a little bit below him. Uh, Steven Matz, Josiah Gray, they're just above him. <clears throat> He's probably a pretty interesting play at that point of the draft. You don't really have too much to lose. He's just going to be pitching depth if you're talking a 15-teamer. If you're talking your 10 and 12s, I don't think he's really going to cut it. There will be times when there is an advantageous matchup and you're going to want to stream him. But in terms of a must-roster guy you should have on your team, blah, 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 I, I wouldn't really go there with Jose Quintana. There will be times, maybe even stretches throughout the season, where you'll pick him up and he'll have three, four good starts in a row. But I don't see him likely being a must roster in 12 teamers. 15s, absolutely. Yes, he's going to be someone you're going to have to roster, specifically in a DC. Obviously, he's going to get drafted. But, you know, I tend to focus more on Yahoo leagues here, which I haven't done so much in the offseason because, you know, it's, there's not Yahoo leagues to be drafting in. There's no ADP data. We shifted more to the NFBC. But if you are talking about the leagues that I like to talk about Yahoo, CBS, Fantrax, ESPN, 10 and 12 team home leagues, I don't think he's going to cut it. So that's pretty much going to do it for us guys today. Uh, we will get back to pitchers next weekend, assuming there is no, or not next weekend, next week on Monday, assuming there is no crazy stuff going on uh, with signings. Maybe if there's some big trades or some big news or whatever, we'll do another show recapping that news. But I think we've gone through most of the major signings. There are a couple of smaller ones we're not going to talk about that aren't so important for fantasy. We'll touch on them later when we do our team previews. Uh, which will probably be starting in January. I want to have I want to start doing the team previews very soon, but I also want to make sure that the dust has settled before I bring on somebody to talk, you know, Blue Jays or whatever, and then they change up their whole team or make a big trade or whatever. Uh, we're going to let the dust settle a little bit, and then we're going to bring on some people that you guys know to talk about their favorite teams. Alex Fast is going to talk about Baltimore with us. We're going to bring back our friend Mike Carter to talk about the White Sox, and we'll get some people who are fans of the teams and live in those cities. Uh, well, not with Alex Fast, but you guys know what I mean. Fans of the teams who are going to talk to us about what they see uh, from their you know courtside view of things going on. So, Guys, check us out over on Twitter, at EthosFantasyBB. All of our podcasts, articles, different notes and stuff, all of it posted out from there. Of course, get it at the source, at SportsEthos.com as well. You guys can follow my personal Twitter, at JoeOrico99. That is where I post, I mean, I post most of the same stuff that you're going to find over on EthosFantasyBB. Uh, I'll post my own different stuff. Obviously, that's my personal account. I will try and reshare as much as I can from the baseball account, but it's going to be hard to keep up with everything because we have hired, I believe we have 10 writers now on the baseball side. Their debut pieces were going to be coming out over the next couple of months. So very excited. Go check that out. Before you guys head out today, 
I will ask you to please leave a review on the show, whatever you think we have earned here, four stars, five stars, that would be great. If you guys want to leave a couple comments there down below as well, uh, I'd really appreciate that. But guys, I hope you enjoy your weekend. I hope everybody relaxes, has a couple drinks, takes it easy, watches some football maybe, do some early drafts. And until next time, guys, cheers. Cheers.